there's a kid's book that we have on one of our shelves that's become quite popular in our household over the last number of years because it is just so accurate in its description of life. Uh, the book is Waiting is Not Easy by Mo Willems. Uh, if, if you've never read that book, let me just briefly introduce you to it. Waiting is not easy in the... Uh, in the um, in, uh, throughout the book, the two main characters, Elephant and Piggy, uh, go through the agony of waiting. Now, in this particular instance, they're waiting for a surprise. Uh, but even waiting for good things is quite hard. Just ask anyone the day before their birthday or the night before Christmas. Waiting for good things can be hard. But there's something that's even harder than waiting for good things, and that is waiting for help. When I was in high school... Uh, one Sunday afternoon, a couple of friends and I went on a drive throughout rural Alabama. And somewhere along this drive, we drove past, I think it was going to be a future housing development or something like that, but whatever it was going to be, uh, it was a giant muddy field on that day. So in our teenage wisdom, we decided that it would be a really great idea to see how his minivan would handle driving through that muddy field. And at this point in the story, I should just stop and say, Mom and Dad, if you're listening to this story, uh, I don't think I ever told you about this one. So uh, sorry for, for the news. So we decided to go through this muddy field in my friend's 1990s Ford Aerostar van. And if you're wondering what a 1990s Ford Aerostar van is, that is a 1990s Ford Aerostar van. You can just look at it. Although our van that day was brown and the field was not nearly as forgiving as that one was. And if you just look at the tires on that, you can see what we eventually experienced. That thing was not built for going through the mud in northern Alabama. So, we, we took it in the mud, we went over a bump or two, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, we were stuck in a mud puddle. Uh, it, was, it was bad. We tried to push our way out, we tried to dig it out, we, we did everything that we could. We found some cardboard, we put it under the tires, nothing worked. The van just kept getting deeper and deeper the more that we tried to get it out. And at that point in time, the gravity of our situation started to sink down in. Uh, we had no cell phones. Uh, it's not like we were in the middle of town. So we were near a road, so people were driving by, but it, it wasn't like we were anywhere close that we could walk to a nearby gas station or anything like that. I had to be back home soon because there was an event at church that I was supposed to go to and I had to finish a paper that was due at school. So all of this stuff was just starting to sink into our shoulders as we watched this van slowly sink into the mud. We were stuck, we needed help, and all we could do was wait. We could not get that thing out. Waiting is not easy and waiting for help is really not easy easy. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Maybe it was a situation of your own making, uh, something similar to ours, something that you've done that puts you in a spot where you now need to wait for help and it's kind of your fault. Or maybe it's of no fault of your own, but it's still your problem to bear, uh, something like waiting for a health problem. 
Uh, You are waiting for news from a doctor about something that's going on in your body that you didn't contribute to, uh, but it's still a reality that you have to face. Or maybe it's a relationship crisis or a physical need or a financial need. Whatever the cause or whatever the issue, waiting for help can drive us absolutely crazy and it can really test our relationship with God. Because the first question on our mind is, when are you going to help? So waiting is not easy. It can test our relationship with God. So the question for us this morning is, how can we pray when we're waiting for help? How can we pray when we're waiting for help? Psalm 40 this morning enters into the muck with us, and it gives us this encouragement. How can we pray when we're waiting for help? Pray honestly. Because God cares for you. Pray gratefully because God saves you. And pray confidently because God is with you. With that in mind, please uh, turn your attention with me to God's holy word. As we hear what he would speak to us this morning. This is the word of God. Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice. And be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. 
You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Brothers and sisters, thus far in the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord, we praise you for your great salvation. You are our salvation. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and the Spirit. We praise you for your word and your great promises to us. And we thank you that we have this great chance to hear from you. And so with those hopes, we now ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us now that we would hear your voice, that you would strengthen us as we wait for your great day of salvation and for the deliverance from the things that bog us down. Teach us now from your word how we ought to pray even as we wait on your great salvation. Minister to us through the Spirit, now we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Psalm 40 is a little bit of a hard psalm to characterize. As as the curtain comes up in verse 1, it seems on the surface that this is a psalm of confidence. We hear from the very beginning that God is a God of mercy, a God of salvation, someone who comes to the aid of his people, and it keeps that up even all the way through verse 11. So this seems on the surface at the very beginning like a a psalm of triumph, a song of great confidence in the Lord's salvation. But then something happens in verse 12. There's a change of emotion that we might not have seen coming. It seems a little bit like a hard right turn. Evils have encompassed me without number. I cannot see. My heart fails me. Now, even though we wouldn't have expected the psalm to go in this very direction when we started at the beginning of it, what these verses in verse 12 through the end, verse 17, what these verses give us is now a more accurate picture of why exactly David is writing this psalm for us. It's not just a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of lament, of crisis. He is in a personal crisis. He is waiting on God for help. He's waiting for God's saving intervention, and waiting is not easy. If you've ever been in a place of waiting, a crisis that you just can't wait for it to be over, you know what this is like. Waiting for God is painful. It's it's painful because no one likes to wait for suffering to pass We would like suffering to end quickly. We want our troublesome situations to be over with. David is desperate to get out of the situation that he's in. That's why he says, oh Lord, make haste to help me. And the situation sounds dire. It's enough to make this seasoned warrior cry out, my heart fails me. David didn't say that when he faced Goliath on the battlefield. So whatever's happening right now is worse to make David say that he is quaking in his boots. And without immediate deliverance, that suffering, that fear, and the pain that he's going through, that is only going to continue. Waiting is hard because the suffering will continue. Also, waiting is hard because oftentimes we have to endure the pain of shame. David says in verse 12, my iniquities have overtaken me. And so apparently whatever is happening to him is at least partly a result of his own sin. If prolonged suffering is hard, prolonged suffering is even worse if you share in the blame for it. 
right? As you sit there and wait for help, you have even longer of a time to ponder how exactly it was that you got yourself into this situation. And, and rest assured, that's exactly how we felt that, that summer afternoon in rural Alabama, watching the van just sit there in the mud and being completely incapable of removing it from that situation. We just had time to sit and reflect And the longer we waited, the worse we felt. Oh man, how could we have been so foolish? What in the world were we thinking? And on top of all that personal pain, the prolonged suffering, the instances of shame that you might feel, when we're waiting for help, sometimes people see our suffering and then they mock us for it. Like we hear in verses 14 and 15, apparently there were people looking on as David suffered, and these enemies of his were glad to see him suffer. In times of hardship, sometimes people are very happy to point out how foolish we look. They might take glee in our downfall. I know that there were many cars that passed us on the road that day, and I can imagine exactly what they thought as they saw some teenagers standing outside of a van, a 1990s Ford Aerostar sunk in the mud, just kind of looking, trying to get it out. I can imagine exactly what they thought. They probably had quite a good laugh at our expense. And if the people aren't making fun of us in our suffering, sometimes people will go after our faith. Sometimes they'll say things like, if God were real, why is he making you wait so long to answer your prayer? Why isn't God immediately taking you out of this situation that you find yourself in? Nabil Qureshi was a convert from Christianity, convert to Christianity from Islam. Maybe some of you have encountered his story before. He became a very powerful Christian apologist. Uh, and did a lot to show how Christianity is the ultimate hope for humanity and for salvation. But then he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, And the cancer ended up taking his life. And through that cancer diagnosis, people that he had debated with, maybe not the individuals that he had debated with, but certainly there were individuals who, who poked at his faith because of his cancer. Uh, they, looked at, they looked at his cancer and they thought that maybe this was divine punishment for him leaving the faith. That maybe this was a sign of God's displeasure with him. And so they would ask questions like, where is your God now? Show us how good your faith is in this kind of circumstance. And you might be tempted to think the same things when you hear people talk about your faith when you're suffering. And so that's another reason why waiting is hard. When we're waiting, we have to endure temptation. We have to endure the temptation to trust, to leave God. We have to endure the trial of continuing to trust him in the face of other temptations. Let's listen to verse four. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Now, why does David include this in, in his psalm? Well, I think at least the reason why he includes this is because he knows that in times of trial, we're going to be tempted to not trust God. We're going to be tempted to, to go along with those people who are proud. Now, just look at the influencers of our day. The influencers of our, our day are rich, 
they're famous, and they're largely non-Christian. And if you trust their social media accounts or the way that they portray themselves in public, you would think that they, they don't have a care in the world. They don't have God, but they seem to be doing just fine for themselves. And when we are waiting on the Lord to deliver us from a time of pain, when we're waiting on God to intervene with his saving mercy, it's easy for us to look at them and say, you know, their life doesn't seem that bad. They've got it pretty good. Maybe I should follow what they're doing. Maybe I should throw in the towel on my faith and just give everything up, try to do it all in my own strength because it doesn't seem like God is doing that much for me at this very moment. So that's the kind of pressure that we are under when we are waiting for God's saving help, his saving intervention. At the Spy Museum... Hopefully, some of you had a chance to go to the Spy Museum. Actually, I've never been to the new one, so it might not be in the new one. But in the old Spy Museum, there was this exercise where you could hold on to a bar that was rising in the air. And the objective was to hold on to the bar long enough to see if you could hold on as long as James Bond did in one of his films. See if you can hold on if your grip strength is as good as James Bond's. And so there was a little timer. You could see how, how long you were actually able to hold on. And I tried it, and I didn't make it very long. As, as that bar gets off the ground and your weight starts to, to hold on you and your grip starts getting weary, you're looking at the clock, and, and every second that goes by, it seems like the pressure, the weight, the pain, the agony of hanging on is, is even more. But, but in your mind, the seconds on that clock just go slower and slower and slower. And that is what it's like when we're in a bind and help is delayed. Our pain our shame, our isolation, our doubt grow every second longer. Every second that we have to endure, we are more tempted to give up hope, to just kind of let go of the bar. That's the pressure that David is under. But look how he responds. Look what he says. He is honest with God. He tells God everything that's on his mind. He pours out his soul to the Lord. He gives God his anger. He's honest about his fear. He's honest and open about his guilt. He's, he's free with the Lord, telling God about his longing, even his desperation. Why does David feel so free to pour out his soul to God? It's because he knows that God cares. He knows that God cares. Nine times throughout this psalm, Nine times in 17 verses, he calls on God using the special name that God gave to his people. That special name that you see in all capital letters in your Bibles that you saw as we were reading it together, the Lord. That's God's covenantal name that God gave to his people so that they would know his character so that they would know his great covenantal love. So David has rehearsed the great history of salvation. He knows of God's electing love as he calls upon the Lord. We can think of verse 5, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare to you. He trusts that God actually cares about him. And so he opens up in prayer. How can you hang in while you're waiting? Begin with honesty. It's okay to tell God, I am completely overwhelmed here. 
I'm completely overwhelmed and it feels like you're not coming to my aid. I have made a big mess of things and I need you. And it feels like I needed you yesterday and you still haven't showed up. God, where are you? How long are you going to make me wait? Now, you might feel afraid to make some sort of outburst like that to God, but God welcomes it because he cares about you. As the Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says, he knows how men speak when they are desperate. He knows how you speak when you're desperate for him, and when we are desperate, God responds with gentleness and with kindness. He cares about you. So he responds with gentleness to your honest questions. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Take Zechariah chapter 1. In Zechariah chapter 1, God is having a conversation, or well, God's angels is more like God's angel is having a conversation with the Lord related to God's timing. He's wondering about how long God is going to take to intervene in a situation. Here's verse 12, Zechariah 1, 12. Then the angel of the Lord responded, How long, Lord of hosts, will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem? How long are you going to keep waiting? Listen to God's response to this. Verse 13, the next verse. The Lord replied with kind and comforting words to the angel. The Lord replied with kind and comforting words to the angel. And if that's how God responds to one of his messengers, how do you think he's going to respond to one of his children? Remember, you are one of God's children. You are a child of God. He will listen to you. He wants to hear what you have to say. And so don't bottle up all of those agitated emotions while you're waiting and let them spoil your relationship with God. Let them out in prayer. Pray honestly because God cares for you. And that actually leads to the second way that we can pray while we're waiting. Pray gratefully. So pray honestly because God cares for you, but you can also pray gratefully. And that's what verses 1 through 10 are actually about. David is grateful as he remembers God's previous acts of salvation. David has been here before. He's no stranger to waiting on God. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that phrase, waited patiently, it doesn't imply that David waited passively or even serenely, sort of with his hands kind of folded, eyes closed, just content to wait on God. No, I think, I think it's a little bit different than that. In the Hebrew, when you read what the exact phrase is, it sounds more like waiting, I waited. Waiting. I waited on God. It's more pensive than passive. It's like waiting to hear back from a pharmacy that the medicine you so desperately need is ready. You've put in the call, and now you're waiting by the phone for when the medicine is ready. So you're not calling back. You're not calling every five minutes, but it's not like you're taking a nap either. You are waiting it with great anticipation. You can't wait for that phone to ring so you can pick it up and drive to get the help that you're waiting on. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on in David's life at this point in time, but we don't need to because he gives us a description of it. It felt like death. It was an inescapable situation. He was in the pit of destruction, 
sunk down deep in the miry bog where there was no hope for him unless God divinely intervened. It was, it was just like our van. It was sunk way down. There was no help for us unless there was some sort of outside rescue. But listen to what happens in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Or as another Bible translation has it, he reached down to me and he heard my cry. It's the image of a parent who stoops down to help a sobbing child up off of the ground. Or a person who reaches into the water to help someone who is drowning, reaching deep down in to pull someone else to safety. God saved him. God pulled him out. Verse 2, he set David's feet upon a rock, making his footsteps secure. And so now, when David is in a, a later bind at a future point in time, he remembers back God's salvation. And he remembers it with gratitude. You can't miss the praise that is embedded in this psalm. Gratitude helps sustain your faith as you wait. It is vital for you to remember that God saves. And so let's think for a minute of why exactly we can be grateful. What is your personal experience with the salvation of God? What is your personal encounter with God's saving work? I'm sure that we all have stories of God's saving intervention. Times when God has answered your prayers exactly when you needed him to. So bring those to mind for just a minute. Think of the times that God has saved you from any situation. And on top of those things, we can think about how God is the one who gives us every earthly blessing we enjoy. And so all of the things that you like in life, bring those to mind as well because they're gifts from God. So you can think about God's, God's grace to you in the blessings that you have. On top of that, we just confessed earlier in our confession of faith uh, that God saves us from countless trials, countless temptations, things that we probably don't even know about, that we're oblivious to throughout the week. God has saved us, and, and he continues to save us. So bring all of those things to mind. That's how we can be grateful to the Lord in our prayers. And even more than all of those things combined, most importantly, God has saved you from sin and death. God has saved you from sin and death. Your eternal salvation is the greatest reason that you can pray gratefully no matter what else is going on in your life. No matter what else you are encountering, all of the waiting and longing that you have, your eternal salvation can cause you to pray with gratitude. Let's listen to verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said... Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, this, these verses show us two things regarding our salvation. First, these verses show us a committed worshiper, and these verses point to a committed 
Savior. It's about a committed worshiper and a committed Savior. David is the picture of someone responding to God's salvation with gratitude. But these verses point beyond David. They point us to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 applies these verses to Christ. Listen to verses 5 through 8 in Hebrews 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is about Christ. And verse 10 in Hebrews 10 follows it up. And by that will, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is actually the point of Psalm 40. Our sacrifices and offerings could not save us. Our works could not save us. We were in the pit of destruction, the pit of death. We were completely sunk up to our necks in bondage to sin and Satan. And in order for us to get out of the mud, we needed someone stronger to reach down in and yank us out. That's how the van got rescued. That's how I'm still not stranded on the side of the road in Alabama this many years later. It's because someone stronger than us, namely a truck with a chain, drove into the mud, attached that chain to the van, and yanked it right on out. And Jesus has done that for us as he's rescued us from our sin. And that is why David is so grateful It's why he can say, I desire to do your will, O God. It's because God's salvation had won him over. And so when you're tempted by sour feelings towards God as you wait and endure that long season of trial, remember your salvation. In Christ, God has saved you from sin and death. He's transferred you into his kingdom of light and life. You are a child of God. You have a glorious future of eternal life in his presence, and you have access to the throne room of God even now. And so while you wait, you can still pray gratefully because God saves you. And you might say, okay, that's great about my ultimate salvation, but what about my immediate suffering? What am I going to do if God doesn't deliver me from this? And I think that's a lot of our fear, isn't it? When we have a great season of waiting with profound suffering, our fear is that we're not going to be able to cope with the pain if it continues to go on and on. I remember talking to someone once who was losing his eyesight, and he told me, I don't know how I'm going to cope if it all goes away. At that point in time, my heart broke for him. How can we pray under this pressure Eternal life is great, but what about this life? What about the pain that we're currently experiencing? What about this life, even now? And I've thought about that a lot this week. What does Psalm 40 say about this life? It it doesn't promise us a complete end of suffering, does it? In, in, the Psalm, in Psalm 40, it doesn't guarantee us that we will be saved from whatever we're begging to be released from. So what does it promise? 
Well, Psalm 40 promises that God will be with us while we wait. God will be with us while we wait. When I listen to David pray in Psalm 40, I hear a passionate, urgent prayer spoken to a God who is near. I hear hear David pouring his heart out because he trusts that God is near to him, is close by to him even while he is suffering. David trusts that God is with him, and that gives him confidence. So how is God with us while we wait? How is God with us according to Psalm 40? Well, first, he's with you through the church. God is with you through the church. Throughout this psalm, David has this longing to be with other worshipers. You hear it every time he talks. He's talking about being with other people, concerned that other people are able to see his story and give praise back to God. David is consumed with longing to be in the great congregation that he says a couple of times in this, singing God's praises with the great congregation. What was this great congregation? It was the community of saints that would be surrounding the tabernacle in the worship services of Israel. It would be God's Old Testament people surrounding God's Old Testament place of worship where his presence was. It was the place where God lived where his glory dwelled. And so to be with the great congregation is to be in the presence of God. It's to be with God as you are with his people, the rest of your holy family. One of the saddest things about waiting in great pain is that we often feel alone. The burdens that we carry through life, it makes us feel like we're suffering invisibly, and it, that creates kind of a barrier around us and other people. We feel closed off around others, even if we're around other people. But friends, hear this good truth. God has not left you alone. God has not left you alone to suffer alone. He's given a com- you a community that you can suffer alongside with. Waiting is never easy, but waiting with a friend helps. I was really glad that I wasn't by myself when the van was stuck in the mud. It's way more scary to have a vehicle that's broken down when you're all by yourself. Because even while my friends and I had to wait, I was still waiting together. I was waiting with People And you are not waiting alone. God has given you the church to suffer with you, to help you bear your burden. And it's not just the people. It's not just that God has given you these people who can help you in your times of suffering. No, God himself is with you through the church. Again, think of the tabernacle. In this great congregation, they would experience God being near them. They would see where God was. And when we gather together, God is with us too. Jesus says this as much in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God is with you while you wait. He's with you through his people, and he's with you through his promises. Probably the most confident verse in this entire psalm is verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. 
Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Wow, that is an incredibly bold statement for David to pray. He just told God what he wouldn't do and what he would do. How is David able to have such confidence in his prayer? Well, God said it first. God said it first. David is just personalizing God's own covenant promises from Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. God's promises are not so abstract that they don't include you personally. He's not some high up executive that only cares about the name of the company but has no clue who actually works there. No, every single one of God's promises given to the church apply directly to you as well. God doesn't make these amazing promises to the church and then leave you out of them. God's promises are for you personally, even as much as they are for the church. And so God hasn't left you alone. He's given you his promises. He's given you his word. And his word is living and active. And so you can run to the scriptures when it feels like you can't wait a minute longer. Hear God's precious thoughts to you. Again, great are your thoughts towards us. Verse 17, the Lord takes thought for me. And here are his thoughts for you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is present with us as we wait, and that presence makes all the difference. See, it's one thing to be rescued by someone who stands off at a distance, maybe someone who phones in a favor for you from a long way away, but it's another thing entirely to have your rescuer get down into the mess with you. See, in order for our van to get pulled out of the mud, that truck driver had to get into the mud too. It was messy for him as well, but he got into the mess. He got involved in our situation, in our struggle, in order to free us. Well, God got involved in our struggle. God got down in the mess with us to free us. And that is the beauty of the incarnation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on our human nature to redeem us. And he took on our sins on the cross to save us. And so when we pray to Christ, we can be confident that he is really with us. Jesus went all in with us, getting down into the mess with us in order to save us. Christ is with us in our suffering, and he sends his spirit to be with us, to comfort us while we wait. So pray confidently because God is with you. Waiting is not easy. And so how are you going to make it? Pray with honesty, gratitude, and confidence. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen. We aren't guaranteed a a particular kind of outcome of healing or safety or a quick end to our suffering. We'll probably still have questions that we never have the answers to. Even with Psalm 40, we do not know how this psalm turned out. We don't know the end of this particular story. We don't know if God intervened for him. So again, we don't know what it's going to be like in our particular stories. We don't know the end of this story 
But we know the end of the story, the capital S story. Christ will come again. He will wipe away every tear. He will heal every disease. He will end every trial. When Christ comes again, the pit of destruction will be destroyed. The miry bog will be filled in so that no one will ever get stuck in it again. That is how the story ends. And so when you are feeling stuck in the mud on the side of the road, stressed and ashamed, when the anxiety rises and the pressures of life threaten to overwhelm you, when you have cried out to God again and again and again, and you are eagerly awaiting his response, pray honestly because God cares for you. Pray gratefully because God saves you and pray confidently because God is with you while you wait. He will give you what you need. He will sustain you. He will keep you. And on the last day, he will raise you so that together with all of the company of the great congregation, we will sing throughout eternity together, great is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your kindness to us in Christ. Thank you for getting involved in our struggle, for going all in to wrench us from our predicament. I pray particularly now for those who are waiting, who are waiting for help, waiting for your saving grace and for your intervention. I pray that you would sustain their faith. I pray that you would intervene, that you would take them from their predicament, and even if you decide to delay, I pray that you would speak comforting and kind words. Hear our prayer, sustain our faith, and help us to wait until the last day when you come again, Lord Christ, in glory. We long for that day. Please come soon and sustain us in the wait. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.